I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, welcome back to Style Over Substance with me, Scarlett. And myself, Mim. Um, yeah, today we are doing an episode talking to Mim about mm. why she left fashion. And um, if you're interested, I've already done my soapbox. It was a good one. It was a really in-depth chat about. I your felt life. like a therapy session. It really. It did. was like your documentary. It is going to be in my memoir, so it's yeah. a sneak peek. Um, but your story is really different from mine, so I think this will be. Yeah, it's not going to be some sort of copycat story. No. And so I guess to get right into it, Mm -hmm. what are the different areas for people who don't know that you worked in first? And then we can kind of go into further bits. Yeah. So your story particularly was about your like ascension into fashion design in particular. My career in fashion was far more like higgledy-piggledy and... But on the same time, I think where you were heading was like more aspirational and where I was in fashion was more of like a typical story for a lot of people. Um, So, for example, I started in retail on the shop floor and what started off as just like having a job, needing a job and then like, oh, well, I've always liked fashion. So let me see if I can use this work experience and skills that I have into like a better role and then try and move my way up um, into not even the back room but like off the shop floor and into the office yeah so exactly like I obviously would talk more in depth about it but at certain points in my career it was like okay I'm done with shop floor yeah I need to go into the (laughs) to the office um and I wanted like be more administrative um and then I ended up in like inventory management Mm -hmm. which sits in merchandising um so yeah it was a a massive learning curve and I didn't you know at the beginning of when I started working in fashion I didn't know that I was going to end up where I was and also me no longer being in fashion was not something I planned yeah. or I made a decision, you yeah. know, the way things turned out. So it was really um, unpredictable, you could say. Yeah. So, like, your career, I, I wouldn't say it's circumstantial, but it also yeah. has been, like, you assessing in certain times, like you said, and it not being, like, a straight timeline, a pre-planned timeline. Yeah. And so what was your experience like pros cons of the shop floor so I started on the shop floor well like my first job was like back in the day when I was 16 and that was like River Island Windsor High Street (laughs) I remember that I used to go see you working oh my god and I worked in the men's department upstairs um and that was just like you know that's just like any job um 
But then I, I think when I left uni, because I studied um, modern languages, I did Spanish and Portuguese, so it was nothing to do with fashion. Um, and I used to spend a lot of time in Spain. And I managed to get a job working at Agent Provocateur on the shop floor in Spain. They had a Spanish shop. And it was like, this was like the best scenario for me because I got mm. to spend all summer in Spain getting paid, um, living out there. And for those who may or may not know, Agent Provocateur is definitely like a girl gang. You know, like when you work with these other women in... I think it's a really unique experience, if I'm honest, mm. that you work with these other women who are really passionate about the product. The brand has a really strong aesthetic and the types of women who are drawn to this brand, who end up working for it, they're very like, you know, I met a, a lot of really confident, charismatic, not shy women. And I genuinely think that that shaped me to an extent as an adult later on. And also in an area where people are quite nervous about, like lingerie, sexuality, all yeah. of that stuff, to actually be women who are like talking in a really confident way and yeah. trying to sell that also to other people and maybe hear some really uncomfortable things is yeah. actually like really beneficial to not being shy about yeah. certain things. Definitely. And like not, as you said, not only was I selling to women um, some of them who are very confident, some of them who are not so much, but we had a lot of men <laughs> that we'd have to sell to. And so you, like, I walked away from that job with a lot of stories, a lot of funny moments. Yeah. It was a real experience. Um, so that was like my, I think that was a pivotal moment. That was in, the start, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, after that, it was, I was living in London and I, I had this job for a really short period of time and I hated it and I left and I was like, fuck this job. I need to find something else. But I had like rent. So I needed another job. And retail is that sort of role where you can always find a retail job and bounce back into it. So I worked in like other stores um, in central London, central London, Oxford Circus, all of that worst place to work. I hate it so much. (laughs) But it's like the shopping capital yeah. of the UK. Um, and then finally, I started working like, um, I was at Harvey Nichols for a time. And then moving into Selfridges mm-hmm. um, back in lingerie for some time. And that, again, it was like, when I got to that point, it was like, I really want to get off the shop floor now. Like, I don't see my life doing this like I need to progress like we both came from like we're not stupid people yeah you know we have like some sort but we of also, but we also have aspirate like not only are we like relatively intelligent young women young. Young. <laughs> <laughs> but quite, yeah. we also have aspirations yeah and it's fine if you do just want to be saying that that like at that level but that's not the kind of thing that we have aspirations for yeah, of course. And also, like, to be honest, retail is really poorly paid. Yeah. Even if... Um, and it's grueling work, like, you really earn your money and you're not earning that much. You're on your feet <laughs> all day. Yeah. And bearing in mind, like, as I was saying, like, when I worked at AP, there was a really strict... Uniform. Uniform, and you wore heels all day for eight hours. 
um in retail like you don't get paid for like your lunch mm. break or you get paid for half of it um you are working shift patterns so department stores in london um especially in the summer where they have a lot of middle eastern clientele mm. that's like their busiest part of the year um department stores will open an hour later to accommodate for that section of their clientele who come in for private late they come in for private shopping and they come in late because in their culture in their country it's like boiling hot during the day so they'd rather relax and do shopping when it's cooler in the evening and things so like to be out spending money at like nine ten o'clock is Mm. culturally normal for them yeah um so department stores cater to that and you end up working like from two till 10 and then you get on a train and at that time I was not living half of it I was living in London and half of it I wasn't and similar to your story making that commute in and out of London mm. at really late hours of the day like getting home at midnight it's not nice yeah it was it was terrible so um I was like okay I need to move on from this and so that was the last being in the department store for like selling luxury brands. And that's another thing, like, even though, you know, at the time you're thinking, let me move on to a a better brand Mm. or something, even though the hours will be the same, I have a chance to make more money through like commission for all of those who have worked in retail. Like commission is really it's a massive factor in like how much you get paid and each brand has a different um commission structure so you know when you're in the department store and you see like the concessions like Chanel and Dior and you're like or like Van Cleef and you're like oh my god I wonder how much they're taking Mm. you know I used to live in I used to live in a flat with one of my housemates she worked for Van Cleef and Artville um selling jewelry obviously and I remember at the time when she told me how much she made thinking that was like a lot of money you know when really it was probably a normal amount of money (laughs) but um yeah it, it really doesn't matter like what brand you work for when you're a sales associate you're a sales associate and so I think I got tired and felt like I needed to move on Yeah, and one thing I wanted to touch on, which I'm assuming, but I also kind of think is true, is uh, when you're working sort of for more luxury brands and also in this, like you were getting, you literally aren't just there on a hill. You get to experience a lot more like, so like River Island compared to like being, working at AP. Yeah. You learn a bit more about, the whole process probably a bit more of like stock levels and all, like you probably yeah. are starting to learn a bit more about that side of the business I guess yeah definitely you're right in that it because you are encouraged to understand your clients more yeah. and it's not just for AP it's for other brands that I've worked yeah. for as well it's when as soon as like it becomes a bit more luxury like the experience and they want to and that's the difference and also that's why you want to work I guess in more luxury um like customer like on the floor because because they're paying you to go that a little bit extra mile and all of that stuff and know your products better like you go shopping in River Island like 
have you got stock of this? I'll check the back room. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like you might be like, oh no, but this storeroom, like this section does. But if you like this, you may also like that. Like yeah. that level of service is expected. But like, it's yeah. definitely yeah, definitely true. Like you get to upskill a little bit more yeah. and you yeah. get the chance to like fill out your CV a bit more. Um, so you're right in that because you're encouraged to know your product to a deeper level mm-hmm. and a greater understanding. So like we were taught about different types of lace, different types of fabrics, construction of things, the names for different types of garments. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that you could put on your CV as something that you're, that you're skilled in um, as well as like clienteling, yeah. having like your black book, which a lot of brands call it of who are your clients that come back to see you and you have good relationships with and you can kind of take that experience into more other types of sales or um marketing or whatever it might be like there was there were opportunities where you could say okay I've done this a little bit can I use this for a better job moving forward um but I think you have to be, obviously I haven't worked in retail in, in a while. I think you have to be quite strategic when mm. you're in those scenarios or in those job roles. If you know you don't want to stay there, you have to think about what am I doing now that I can make sound really good yeah. or um, make it sound like I have a lot to offer in a different sort of role. But those are transferable skills that like I feel like you might think it's random, but that also does feel like a really natural progression into kind of going into the office and dealing with inventory and all of that stuff somewhat. Yeah, I think that's one thing. Like I was at every stage of different jobs that I had, I, it wasn't really by accident. It was because I was like, right, I now want to move on to X. It's important that I get off the shop floor. It's important that I have a higher paying job. It's like, I think you have to be quite diligent in regards to that. If that is something you want to do, you don't want to be moving on the shop floor. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So then after the shop floor, what was next? Then I moved to a role for an online retailer of luxury fashion. <laughs> I tried to be descriptive without saying the name. Um, and it was, I worked in customer care. So it was like taking care of customers orders and, or customers orders and their queries. Mm. Um, and that felt like quite a big deal to me. Cause again, it was like a really well-known brand and, and website and it was like, finally, I don't have to be on the shop floor. But you still had the nuisance of customers. Oh, they were really bad, actually. Mm. They were really bad. So essentially, it was like a call center. And anyone who's done that sort of job knows that you have like targets and number of calls you, and queries you need to deal with daily or emails. Um, the job was like, don't get me wrong, I learned a lot. And if I didn't have that job, I wouldn't have moved on to other things, yeah. better things. But I remember we used to have this one customer and she was Greek and she was notorious. And she used to call us just to ask us like, 
basic things like the sizing and how the size comes up. Bearing in mind, it's we had, on the website. <laughs> it's on the website. But we have thousands of items, okay? And even though our, our um, office was located at one of the warehousing sites, yeah. we don't sit in the office with like Diane von Furstenberg dresses just hanging up, yeah? Like we've never seen these garments either. We can just go off of the notes and information we have on the back end of things, you know? So we're guessing and we're giving you our best, you know, guess. Guesstimate, yeah. She used to call up and she was like a professor. Like she was, no, she honestly, she wasn't like, you'd expect better. You'd expect better. And you think to yourself, oh my God, I feel sorry for her students. Yeah. But she was Greek and she used to call and ask about sizing or something like that. And you used to just be honest, but you know, you can always free returns if it's not for you, blah, blah, blah. And she used to scream at us on the phone, like scream. It was like she was having a heart attack down the phone. She was screaming so much. And you had to tell her like, Listen, I'm not Madden. gonna. I'm not gonna um, accept this sort of, you know, yeah. someone to talk to me like this. And it would just get her riled up even more. Madam, this is really inappropriate behaviour. <laughs> Honest to God, but it calm was, down. I'm the, really sorry you're experiencing it. The thing is with retail <laughs> is that, especially luxury fashion, is that your customers can be these sorts of, you know, characters. Yeah, the, the higher the price, to, like, I don't know. I just. If some, first of all, like a Zara return is the worst, right? But if there's something wrong with my product, I don't care. And it's not like it's, it's Zara's, like it just goes there and it's fine. You yeah. get to queue and you might be a bit annoyed about it. But when you're paying a lot of money for something, yeah. you have an entitlement for one. But also if you are someone who can even afford to spend a lot of money on stuff, you have an air about you or yeah. you have you're living in a different like level yeah. of service and you're just kind of like i expect a high standard in life yeah um, but then the brands encourage that because yeah, yeah. they're very they accommodating give you that customer experience yeah and they want to look after their gold vip and obviously if she's shopping on there a lot calling a lot and you know of her mm. she's spending a lot of money on your website well i don't think <sighs> Honestly, she was one of those customers who, yeah, she buys stuff, but she's not she's not, not enough to warrant, not enough to yeah. warrant all of this. Um, any, it's free to call customer service and chat shit, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. so, but yeah, like I remember also this company, and I learned a lot about what you can get away with, like in terms of luxury fashion. So, for example, if you ordered something and it had not yet been dispatched yeah Yeah, it's not yet been dispatched but the same item goes on sale in the web on the website you can call customer service and be like i haven't yet got my item but i can see it's 20 percent cheaper yeah Yeah. will you honor that and they'll be like yeah we do it all the time so (laughs) yeah and so i've done i've now asked for that sort of thing in the past and customer service we don't care like you'll just give it to them not their money yeah yeah and you're allowed to. So, um, yeah, I walked away with a lot of um, knowledge for brands in that in that sense. And um, then you moved into mer- like the merch side of stuff, right? Yeah. So, again, it was like I was still working like shifts technically. And although it was a better environment, it was like I don't want to do this for the rest of my mm. life, obviously. Um, and 
being in fashion, as we've mentioned before, it was like being in the office near where, you know, things are happening. Near the things. Near the yeah. things. <laughs> um, so I then applied for a different job and it was in allocation, which is essentially making sure that you have a good distribution of sizing, styling in all the stores or on the website according to what the buyers have envisioned for the collection, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So um, worked, went to work for a handbag company um, and there was an allocator. And yeah, that was a good, that, it, it felt like, Oh, you know, a step in the right, a step in the right direction. Exactly. Um, again, the it was like the money was, you know, it was yeah. like early twenties. Yeah, and it's it, fashion. It's <laughs> fashion. And don't get me wrong, it was like I'd come from doing long, longer hours, having like being shouted at, you know. Or like having to hunt down people's parcels, yeah. you know, or like calling people while they're at the airport, explaining why their delivery hasn't turned up before their holiday, mm. you know, to being in an office and it's like, I start the same day every, same time every day. Mm. I leave the same time every day. I'm in an office. I can go into the kitchen and make a coffee and like all those little things is, and you, ha- and you look back on your experiences and you think, wow, you can really accept the bare minimum yeah. and fashion offers the bare minimum <laughs> bare minimum yeah, yeah. you're like oh i finally yeah. live a a normal a quote-unquote normal office existence or working existence which is what like we all believe that's what work is meant to be right <clears throat> yeah exactly that everyone you sort of start and finish at the same time every day yeah, you can have your lunch breaks. You can go make coffee and tea and no one's going to be like, why aren't you sat at your desk? Like, yeah. Every second of the day. Yeah. And it's funny because when I, like I was in my mid twenties at this point and I was living in East London. So I was obviously like paying rent and um, my travel monthly card and things like that. And I am a budgeter in that sense. Mm. But if I wasn't like a fairly strict budgeter, I mean, easily I would have been in like overdraft and all mm. of that. It's not a survivable amount of money, really. As someone in your mid-20s to live a life with like when dignity. When you want to start trying to enjoy your life. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember also for the level of job that I had, which is essentially at the time like an entry-level job. Mm. It wasn't, you know, um, I had like... I had two rounds of interviews. My interviews was fine. Okay. Oh and I, I got to meet who would be my manager and her like superior as well. And they were both really lovely and the and the interviews were fine. Um but it felt like a lot it felt like a lot of when I look back on it now, mm. like this interview's a bit much for the role that you're yeah. trying yeah. that you're advertising. And what you're for. Paying me. Yeah. Yeah. And about pay, actually, one thing that I always remember to this day is, you know, when you have to give an idea of the salary that you want. Mm. Yeah. And you'll hear like... So, like, as a side note, fashion often doesn't really advertise an amount. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. 
it doesn't. Because if that, like A, because there's, it's not enticing. No. And it's not comp- B, competitive. Yeah, that, it's not like industries, like now I work in sort of like a finance industry where it's like, we, like you want to show off of like, oh, like yeah. we, we might pay you like 80K for yeah, this yeah, really yeah. easy job. Whereas like fashion will just be like, um, please inquire or, <laughs> or like based on experience or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you've got no idea then no. how to pitch that like thing. You, like when they How do you, you like, negotiate? You have no idea where to pitch it. And because also when you're young mm. and you know fashion's not that like uh, lucrative, yeah, how, like where is the aim? Where, yeah, because as you said, they're not advertising a figure, so you don't know. But then also at that point, when you're just like, oh, thank God, I got to this next level, and I got to this next level, you, I think you get used to expecting the bare minimum yeah. and like not really knowing your worth I don't know if this is just something for the UK because I think in general the UK hey UK quite poorly well I think the UK we're not we're not not the best at being like talking about money and money conversations aren't great Mm. I would say but yeah I don't really know in that respect I think every industry is so different in this country yeah yeah Um, that's true but in fashion because you get them like you're so grateful for like genuinely a one or two k rise yeah yeah and yeah, that, yeah. Is a, that is a promotion yes yes that yes. is not just a pay rise it is a promotion <laughs> i remember that um, is what people in my company get just as a general rise just as a yearly just a yearly add-on percentage my increase. salary never changed each year did you ever get pay rises just I annual did, pay okay rises? so i will go i will go into that actually <laughs> so but initially i when i was working in customer care I had a standard rate and then if we um, met our sales target, like how many, how much um, transaction value we made over the phone, then we would get a bonus. And the mm. bonus was like up to £300 a month. And that's a lot of money, mm. you know, at the time, especially. Um, but I was working on a part of a website that was going through a lot of change. So it was like a lot of upheaval. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when they asked me about how much was I expecting, um, I would take um, what I was getting paid base plus the bonus because they were paying us this bonus because we were having like a terrible time. Mm. And it was like a lot of upheaval on the division that we were working on. So There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I was like okay moving yeah. forward that needs to be my bare minimum yeah. of what I move on to 
and honestly it wasn't that much again it was still early 20s and um and I remember after getting the job my manager saying to me like I, I know you weren't getting paid that like it's the way she said it it wasn't mean or spiteful but it was just like yeah I think you were bluffing that you were making that much money and I, I was like no no, I wasn't. Now, obviously, you always add like a few hundred yeah, pounds on it. Yeah. But a few hundred pounds, it's not, it's not your life changing, is it? It really isn't. Um, and it was just like, no. And to think that like the figure that I was giving was already was deemed yeah. as like too much or like, who yeah. are you kidding? So it's like a known thing that salaries are low. In- it was, yeah. <laughs> But after a year, we did get a percentage increase. Wow. Yeah, we did. But the company I worked for was bigger than the ones that you worked yeah. for. It was like yeah, more yeah, yeah. corporate and global. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot more employees and just expectation was different. But it wasn't that much money, really, yeah. because we did get bonus as well, which was good. Because it was a corporate company. Yeah, yeah. So got, I know. I know. It's, all, it's all like... Mad, you never experienced like, this. What? <laughs> so you got bonus, but most of it gets eaten up by tax. Yeah, yeah, because it's tax at like forty percent, something ridiculous, <sighs> like higher rate tax. Um, student loan eats so much of it too. Oh my, oh my god! god no. It's not even student loan then; it's student loan now, yeah, which yeah. gets on my nerves. Um, so yeah, we used to get bonus, but most of it used to go down the toilet to the tax man. <laughs> And then we used to get a percentage increase, but it was literally like 2%. Yeah. When you're on nothing, what's 2% of nothing is nothing, isn't it? But 2% of a lot is not much as well, <laughs> isn't it? Not, like, but yeah. yeah, so that was good. It was like the first time when I... Another thing about going from retail to being in an office is having a more steady form of payment. Yeah, like steady working, steady An hours, salary, a salary, yeah. yeah, and a payday, and all the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. And having things like bonus and percentage increase, and all of that, um, it's like a more formalized way did of it feel working. More reliable. Yeah, it did, and like you could take holiday mm. more flexible. It wasn't like, well, Jess is off on <laughs> yeah. that day. <laughs> And Check I, the rotor. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, but we need to have at least three people on the shop floor and then one person's going to go on lunch and then you've yeah. got to be back from lunch by 4 p.m. And, and yeah. you don't, you no longer have to deal with that sort of yeah. thing. It's like, I come in, I do my job to, you know, according to my remit and, yeah, there needs to be a few of us on the team at any given point in the yeah. year, but, mate, that's Did it. you feel like there were enough resources in your team? when I worked in the office yeah like what did you feel like you were having to do more than your job role no actually that's the reason why I moved on from this role I was there for a couple years and as I mentioned in allocation it's like a it's an entry-level job um which is what I was looking for at the time but it became boring and redundant yeah. and I was like I could do, do more. more and get paid more like, I don't mind having a higher workload because yeah. this is boring and I can do this in 10 minutes. Um, so that's an opportunity for me to actually make a decent amount of money, hopefully. So I thought, like, okay, started applying for something else. 
and I wanted to go more into like buying because it made based on my skills that I'd acquired it made sense yeah um and I had I was really lucky because um a friend I had at work she was a buyer and she helped me with my application you know salute to her and again like this new role that I ended up getting I think I had three interviews yeah, you did. and I had a project, like a piece of work that I had to do. And we're, we're definitely doing a whole episode on the interview <laughs> process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this basically leads us on to why you left fashion. Yeah. 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 So, so it was through no choice of your own. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So context. End of 2019, and I'd been looking for a job. And I December, literally, I was doing these interviews, um, really long winded, but I really wanted this job, and I was putting in the work and whatnot. And it was a good job. Yeah, it was. And it felt like, oh my god, a big fucking deal yeah, to me. Yeah. Again, the pay was only like, and I had to negotiate. Yeah. It was. It was still like, I think it was about 26k, and I. Th- I think I asked for 26, 25, 26 or something like that. And um, three rounds of interviews. Yeah. And that's what you're like. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I had to negotiate for my, for that and getting more than that. Okay. Full disclosure. It was an assistant buying position for a very well-known brand and they were going to pay me 26K a year. And it was just like, it's not a bad fashion salary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like when you think of, by the buyers, way, that is the entry level that we pay at my work. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In finance, even that I would think maybe a bit low um, for someone who's like, no, training, no experience. No yeah. experience. Okay. Yeah. We train them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there you go. You get trained yeah. to be in finance. Yeah. That's, that's great because the training itself is worth yeah. easily like 10 grand or something probably. Um, yeah, so when you think of fashion, you think of designers and you think of buyers mm. because they're like the people who get invited to shows mm. and who are like crucial to like the fashion industry. Um, buyers essentially, depending on what sort of company you work for, you can have buyers for a department store who's buying collections from runways and mm-hmm. whatnot to hold in their store. But you can have buyers who, for particular regions, say you work for a brand yeah. and you work for Europe, you're the Europe buyer, you're not going to have, or you're not going to stock the whole collection that maybe the States has. Yeah. So a buyer in that instance is someone who is curating the collection for your region and you have to take into account how it's going to sell, how much stock you're going to shift. The sizing differences. The sizing, yeah, distribution. um, What also is going to make for a cohesive collection in the store? Mm -hmm. Because you know you're not going to sell everything, but you might have to stock stuff that you... The shop window or just, just, yeah, yeah. Just for the shop window. And just so that the designer feels like you're representing the collection appropriately in your region. So there's different types of buyers, but um, still a crucial part of any brand and any company. And context, there were 
there was one buyer for menswear, one buyer for womenswear, the buying manager. And that was it. For, really? for the whole buying team? Yeah, for this buying team. So you were going to be assistant buyer to all of them? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there were, Max, there were four people That's in this team. Many. I think at the time, I think it would have just been three of us, to be honest. Um, not many people. Not many. So I don't know why the pay was like that. Well, but and you would have been doing three people's jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another thing, another thing for context, and I think we touched on in your episode, is that this brand was still privately owned yeah. at the time. So a lot of brands which are privately owned um, struggle. And I think that that is justifiably or not justifiably so, but the reason why you don't get paid a lot. Either they're understaffed or underpaid and understaffed. Really like underpaid and understaffed. And I think that would have been the scenario where I was going. Yeah. Um, So, yes, that's what happened there. So, yeah, cut to the chase. 2020 comes along that year. (laughs) and um I'd been told that I got the job in January and I was like really happy about it because it felt like I'd have I'd really made it off the shop Mm. floor or I'd like really like stepped into a career because up until that point I didn't really think I had a career I just had a job that I was doing and until like the next Mm -hmm. best thing came along um and I think what happened over the course of the next few months really goes to show like how precarious the industry mm-hmm. is and how, yeah, there's, how dodgy it can get. So I had a two month notice period, I had a two month notice period for a allocation job, allocation role. Um, fair enough, they have to backfill positions. So um, it was the first time that I had a, notice period that long so obviously I worked it but then it was March by that time and we were in lockdown and I was literally in my last I think it was in my last month of my notice period it was mid-April that I was gonna officially be moving on to my next role and um, at the beginning of lockdown none of us knew like how long we're gonna be at home for you know we were just thinking a couple weeks a few weeks we had no idea we'd gone for months and so I was keeping like really close contact with my new manager And I thought that they would send me like a laptop and stuff so I could onboard from home. (laughs) I can see the look in your face. No, I'm trying to think for context, when did furlough start? Because I feel like furlough is quite an important element that you basically at at one point, you had obviously left your job. Yeah. And had... (laughs) <laughs> waiting to start yeah and they were sort of delaying it because there was a work from home thing and then yeah. furlough happened as yeah. well um so I'll explain that yeah because well. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's quite an important element yes so at the time so because didn't they push they were pu- they pu- were pushing back your start date until yeah. basically work from home wasn't work from home because work from home is not ideal for fashion yeah so they were saying okay let's give it a couple weeks um and when we're all back in the office then it'll be easier and we can get going like normal and stuff and it was like cool and I was biding my time and being really patient but Um, you were not yet an employee or being paid no but I'd signed my contract and everything Um, contracts mean nothing nothing, guys and I learned that the hard way a second rule I also learned is 
if you can minimize your notice period, do negotiate yeah. it down. Yeah. Say, I'd like to leave a month early or yeah. something because yeah. it's of no benefit to you yeah. to still be in the other role yeah. if you can start your new role quicker. Um, so I actually went back to my former employer, the one that I was kind of still employed with because it was like the end of my job mm. was like coming to an end. And I spoke to HR and I said, you know, it's a new thing called furloughers happening. Um, and at the time, the UK government had basically said, used furlough as a way to retain staff. Like if you can keep them rather than laying them off. Yeah. Instead of sacking them, we'll pay 80% of their salary. You don't have to contribute that additional 20%. Just keep them on your books and keep them employed and stuff. And I asked that for my employer. I said, rehire me for the sake of furlough and they basically got back to me and said they wouldn't even though it would have been no financial disadvantage for them they wouldn't I thought I've been here for two years and I know everyone in the office they will never show the loyalty that you show them yeah and I thought you're not even pay I'm not asking you to pay me yeah um so I, I actually do think it costs them something in terms of national insurance yeah, or something. Yeah, it did cost them like P A Y E and N I still, but still, like that's still, much. I had literally at that point I just left. Yeah, you know. Um, so and your new job wouldn't do that for you. Either. My new job <laughs> couldn't actually because I'd never started. I hadn't started with them yet or something. If you sign a contract, if I start a contract and I had a start date, I would have yeah. thought that there is something they yeah. could have done for me. And this is the thing with fashion. It's like I later found out that my former employer who wouldn't want to bring me on simply for furlough had started reviewing people they were going to let go. Mm. So they knew that they and I'm pretty sure she even told me like they're having to look at employee structure and stuff um so I knew at that point they were thinking about letting other people go um I just happened to be someone who was moving on anyway so they didn't want to like carry dead weight essentially yeah. it was like oh one person we didn't have to fire someone yeah. who was going to leave anyway um so that was definitely a time when brands were treating it as a, an opportunity to slim down their work their workforce and yeah. it was just an excuse really to get rid of people yeah because remember at that time people were still shopping at the beginning of um lockdown and furlough people were home had more money to spend because they weren't commuting and we were we didn't know we were going to be in lockdown for that mm. long so people were still buying fashion and I'm pretty sure we had episodes right at the beginning of our podcast is like people finally were able to spend more money on higher ticket items mm. in fashion, luxury fashion than they were able to before. And so sales, particularly at the brand that I was working at, they had a little bit of a renaissance and they became really popular on social media over that summer. And they had like an it bag for a little bit of a you know, period of time. So they were like, they were selling really mm. well, this particular bag that we'd started selling before, like when I was still employed with them. Um, it was just an opportunity to get rid of people, really. And that's how I viewed it. Um, my new employer kept stringing me along, essentially, at this point. They were like, give it a month. 
give it a month and obviously like this to me is like the job that I'd like done a project on three interviews it's the biggest job of your life like at that point you're thinking you're getting on your fashion career ladder yeah and also because of how hard it is then to get the job yeah you don't I think this is like a is it a strategy who knows but because you're so grateful and you've had to get three interviews to get this job you also then don't feel like you've got the power in any way shape or form to like guys come on like where do I stand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are so grateful to have the job, and this is part of the issue, I think, with fashion mm-hmm. and putting jobs on a pedestal, but that is the environment they sort of create. Mm-hmm. Is that like in another realm, you'd be like, where do I stand with this? Yeah. But because jobs are so hard to get, they're so hard to come by, yeah. they make you jump through hoops and whatever. Yeah. You don't feel like then you can kind of yeah. like, advocate ask for yourself. For your rights. Yeah, and I mean... And then also, you're in a limbo of like, well, I'm not being paid now. Yeah. How, like, how much longer am I going to have, like, should I be looking for a different, like... Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I was never really given a clear answer. It got to the point where I had to say to myself, I don't think this is going to happen. For my own self-preservation. And obviously, I was, like, really disappointed. A, by the way things turned out, but also because of the way How I was handled. handled it. Yeah, honestly, they everyone knew, both sides knew that I didn't have a job. They knew that I didn't have a job. And yeah. I was waiting. I needed to get paid from them yeah. starting. And I was on universal credit. It was it the, I was holding out for that job. But then it was also like, I will just take this time. It was really sunny. It was really it was like, a great, it was a great summer. summer. It was like, you know what? I'm privileged. And although it was really tough, I was able, able to make do to make do and kind of bide my time. I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't have big overheads. I was like, let me just wait and see how this kind of like pans out. Um, so of course I was going to wait and see. How um, long did it take for you, them to confirm to you? that there was not a job to go to uh, in total I was unemployed for nine months no but <laughs> but yeah so them. from the April I think it was about five months yeah it was it was a while um and again it wasn't them saying it wasn't this is not cut. gonna happen yeah. it was like come on guys like what's the situation and them saying and they, they were like promise anything yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't promise. Let's, you know, maybe in the future. I was like, give me a break. Give me a break. Because all this time, you guys have also clocked on to the fact that you can do this job with just two people on the mm. team. You know, you've got one uh, buying manager and one buyer and that's it. And you, you, I guess, seem to think that you've survived thus mm. far. So, um, yeah. So then I decided, like... After that didn't go anywhere, I decided, okay, I think I need to just like, again, take the skills that I have mm-hmm. and try to pivot into a different industry and see if like I can just get paid more to do something similar. And was that also because of realizing that fashion's maybe not the most reliable, like, or was it mainly about pay and it's like, or, and that kind of a thing? Or was it like, a oh, right, <coughs> fashion's kind of not a great industry? Primarily, it was more like, I can't just stick to fashion because this is a really tumultuous. narrowing. 
Yeah, it's like narrowing my search and my options, and this is not the time to be reliable industry. Yeah, and then especially when you're applying for jobs in a pandemic where, like, fashion and beauty brands were like being hit the worst. Yeah, there were no shows. There weren't many occasions to wear these clothes. So I didn't want to narrow down my search because at that point it was like, I actually do need a job, Mm. just a job. I need a job. Like I cannot survive with universal credit, which is terrible. It's, it's like in the UK, it's horrendous. If you have any semblance of savings, you're not like eligible for anything. Um, so then I ended up getting a contract job, which by just, I don't want to say luck because obviously I interviewed and I like, I like, and I applied for it and I worked and interviewed and all of that. But luckily I got a contract that paid me significantly more. Mm. And then it was like a light bulb moment. And it was like, why would I ever go back? I don't think I can go back because it's like, you can take your same skills and have, something that's more reliable and you and you gain I think from that whole experience you gain uh an idea of like I know I can advocate for myself now someone's paid me x amount to do this job so why I don't need to accept anything less just because you think you're fancy like you think it's like uh a wonderful thing to be able to say I've worked for you yeah that's not enough now exactly so it was kind of like I got pushed out yeah but then my whole perspective on how I treat work um my aspirations for moving forward what sort of job do I want what sort of pay do I want what sort of conditions and all of that I like my perspective changed completely that that is how I ended up leaving fashion yeah it was completely different to yours. <laughs> no, yeah. but it's interesting. But also, you were forced out. Like, I chose to leave. Mm-hmm. You were forced out. This yeah. sounds like a really dramatic way of, like... <laughs> At the time, it felt very dramatic, though. But the interesting thing is, is that it's... Well, it's, like, for the better. Like, that it's... That you've made your peace with that. Like, I had obviously made my peace with it because like, it was a decision. Yeah. Whereas you didn't get to make that decision. But actually, yeah. it's interesting that you've, like... Yeah, you have to, though. Like No, but also, like, it's not even like, oh, because I have to move on. It's also like, yeah, I actually want something better than what you could offer me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, um, yeah. That is the story of how I left fashion, got pushed out, got, you know... Um, <laughs> but it, yeah. you know what it makes me think of when Oprah was like were you like oh oh yeah yeah was it like were you I don't know what did she what say? Is, I don't know what the first one is were you, oh, silenced? Were you silenced <laughs> I was silenced yeah um but yeah hopefully this has been really insightful for people of how I think we had similar experiences but in different scenarios yeah um and it's kind of now that we finished both of our episodes it's kind of sad to see that like ultimately you are better off not being in fashion it sounds so bad but it's not sustainable for like normal working people it kind of isn't sustainable and yeah I think more people need to be honest about the real implications of working in fashion regardless of your role in your department that's so true 
I th- but I think that's the case with anything that like there are certain people where like you actually gonna will be like oh you do you enjoy what you do or like especially people I've met with design jobs like mm. god is it all right I find fashion like horrible I'm like yeah it's, it's fine it's fine and then you delve deeper and then you're like oh no that's horrible too isn't it yeah you don't get to go home on time and you can't make your plans yeah. and whatever you see but people, people don't friends. want to like admit it necessarily and they probably should yeah once you start talking about it you realize there's commonalities and like now I don't care I care less about being passionate about my job yeah yeah as long as I'm like I can do it and I feel like I can do it to a good enough yeah. standard that's all that matters to me yeah um but yeah thanks for yeah. listening to this week's episode yeah um thank you again for listening um you can follow us on all the socials so we're on instagram at style over substance pod we are on our link trees on instagram yeah our link tree and we have everything there um obviously we're here on youtube for everyone who's listening over on your podcast player apps we're also on youtube so you can see our face if you want to see our ugly mugs um (laughs) um, we are on all the podcast listening platforms um so apple Podcasts, spotify all of them um and if you have any suggestions topics you want us to cover because we don't just do story times we do um, we take on like larger topics and discuss the industry at large. So if you have any um, topics you want us to discuss or guests you want us to have on, because we also have guests, mm-hmm. um, email us at styleoversubstancepodcast at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. But yeah, we have episodes every Tuesday. So we'll see you next week, guys. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.